Kevin Hargadon, you are leader in the Jesuit Centre for Faith and Justice and you've written a blog post and the centre has put up resources regarding the upcoming general election. You're talking about thinking theologically about a general election. Should we think theologically about a general election? Politics being different? I'm wondering what it would be to not think theologically about a general election. A general election, if it means anything at all, means that we all get together and deliberate about the goods that we have in common, the compromises we have to make to live in peace together, um, how we balance our resources for the sake of the greater good. But there's no mention of God in that. Uh, But if we are coming at it uh, from a Christian perspective, there's no way that we can think of any of those big picture ideas or even just local questions about where we're going to put cycle lanes and whether or not we can turn that uh, derelict field into a park. They're all questions about the common good. And so Christians think about that theologically. And I even think non-Christians slip constantly into thinking theologically about the state. Like, Give me an example. Well, uh, there's a, a long argument waiting to be written, I think, that in Ireland we had for a very long time a politics that was dominated by the church for good or for ill, mostly for ill, in my opinion. It's not that the worship element in that has gone away. It's just now we worship the power of the secular state and its liberal arrangements to serve the common good. So we have all kinds of liturgies, for example, around our secular state. Uh, Think about when the president is inaugurated or when a new doll is brought into session. These are worship services as formal as anything that happens in a high Anglican church. Wherever you have big moral ideas and serious disputes about what good is, the language invariably takes on a theological tone, even if it's not overtly about the Bible and Jesus and so on. Okay, so then let's say we're thinking theologically about a general election. What are we doing and how do we do it? I think there's probably a whole range of of responses. Uh, The response that we've made in the Jesuit Centre, building on the 40 years of work that's gone there, is uh, to think critically about the areas that we have expertise in and to prepare some resources that aren't directive, but rather encourage people to, to think, ponder, deliberate, discuss about the things that they value in these areas, which are uh, penal policy, the environment, economic ethics and housing and homelessness. So the, the way that we would see it is that it's a community discernment process that you should do with your friends and your family and your parish. And you should work out what it is that is needed locally and nationally and how that intersects with your values as a Christian. So it's, it's a thoughtful process. Mm-hmm. Go back then to step one. Step one is, should we vote at all? Like, for example, they say Sinn Féin gets a very high marks when there's a poll that has never translated because the people who often say, yes, I would vote for them, are people who just don't really want to vote or or feel cut off from the the democratic process. So should we vote? Yeah, I think a, a really good initiative to consider in Ireland would be to count spoiled votes. People who show up at the election booth and then write Jesus for president or you're all idiots or, you know, draw a profane image on the paper and submit that because there's a significant proportion, um, uh, you know, four or five percent of people go in to just protest. And then obviously there's a good third or maybe even a half of people don't show up at all. And for serious Democrats, that ought to be a cause for concern. Theologically, Christians have developed very good reasoning for refusing to vote at all especially in what's called the Anabaptist tradition, the Radical Reformation, who listened to the lads like Luther and Calvin and said, you have some good ideas, but you're not taking it far enough. You're still too embedded in the structures of power, in the military, in the government, in the the money markets. So you've got to go the whole way and separate the Prince of Peace from the ways of the the warring world. So these traditions are like the Amish, the Mennonites, uh, the Bruderhof. They continue and thrive across the world today, and they'd largely refuse to vote on the basis that it's, it's coercive. 
And today, as we're recording this, is Brexit Day. I don't know the exact figures, but the vote was 52 to 48, and that's the democratic will of the people. But it's also deeply coercive, because 48% of people are deeply unsatisfied with the decision that's been made. How's that fair? Um, surely it should just be a proportionate successful Brexit, just a slim amount of Brexit, but instead we've got Brexit means Brexit and the full hog. So the ways in which liberal democracy creates consensus is coercive. And these Christians say, we don't want to be part of coercion, so we back out entirely. Well, here's a question. Would they like our system of proportional representation, which is designed to try and actually obviate some of the things you've talked about in Brexit, which is a first-past-the-post and things like that? I know it was a referendum, yes, mind yeah. you, but that was a different thing. But there is a way in which, in our bringing it back to our general election, we, would you think we have a good reason for voting? Because it's probably one of the fairest systems there is. Absolutely. I think it's, it's a really... A brilliant system and I don't understand why people sometimes um, do it down because it generates these weak coalition governments they're uh, in my mind uh, great yeah exactly um, but I do think it's important as Christians to think theologically about what's going on there the system is good because it formally creates the idea of representation that we elect people from our own communities the demos means village so the people come together to elect representative leaders it's a great idea. But we have to recognise that that's just a formal construct and the content isn't necessarily there. So we're in the context of a housing and homelessness crisis where there are officially 10,000 homeless people. 6,000 of them can vote. We have to always remind people that 4,000 homeless children exist in this country. And there's 70,000 households on the waiting list for houses. And there's untold thousands of people who are couch surfing or in precarious housing arrangements or living with their parents long past when that's a good idea. So there's a huge proportion of the population, definitely more than a quarter of a million people, who are without home or at risk of being without home. No, and yet, and yet half the doll are landlords. So have we achieved representation? I think that a large number of people who are the poorest in our society would say, that's not representative for me, so why should I vote? So we have to go beyond just simply kind of easy rhetoric about how great democracy is or how representative PRSTV is and actually dig down deep into trying to figure out how we make a parliament that represents our people. But I mean, not to single out any party, but one par one of the parties are promising to build 100,000 houses. Is that not a reason to vote? I would, as a general rule of thumb, assume that any promise made in the run up to an election is is worthless. Surely everyone, everyone knows that, that uh, you know, uh, met, the last time around Fianna Fáil had this great, uh, you know, last time they were in power, they had this great Transport 21 initiative. If they'd been in power and they'd fulfilled their promises, we'd have three metro lines in Dublin and there'd be no congestion. But we all know that wouldn't have happened uh, because in the real politic, there's compromise and there's, uh, you know, the, the promises are never remembered. So it might be a good exercise for us to come back in six months and see whether or not Pascal Donoghue and Michal Martin and the other leaders in the political parties are still talking about their promises because in, in the cut and thrust of the doll, we'll be back into the nitty gritty. So I, I don't think people should work off the promises. Uh, maybe the manifestos give you a general sense of the trajectory of the parties, but none of those promises are rooted down in any way. I feel I'm getting nearer to thinking there's probably no point in voting, but I know that is not what you're saying. What can we do then as Christians if we to make a difference? And also, I think to say that a lot of the people who are running for election, I mean, they're not bad people. I mean, in oh, this cult not, of yeah. you be attacking politicians and undermining them, I, that we see a lot on social media, 
is not good for the body politic. This is not what theology or what Christianity would ask of us. I think there's, there's two sides to that. The first is I do think Irish politicians have become quite thin-skinned. Uh, you know, they're not really able to take a bit of slagging, which is natural in the Irish culture. But in the three years I've been working at the point where theology and policy mix, I really have realised that it, that, that um, caricature of the politician is spiritually corrosive for the person who holds it and democratically corrosive. Uh, the politicians who I most, most fiercely disagree with get up in the morning and work hard to try to make this society better. And if we forget that, then we're into a, a nihilistic position and, and democracy is threatened if we're assuming the worst of the other person. It's a really basic Ignatian principle that we look for the best in the other. And I would strongly encourage that as a Christian principle when we think about voting. Even if someone holds positions that you just find almost evil, you've got to be able to see it from their perspective. They're not getting up in the morning conspiring against their neighbours. They're doing their best. Um, it's sufficient that we say that's not good enough. Though it has to be said, there have been one or two politicians who have done things. We had Peter McVerry coming out and speaking about the politician who took his money and, and was only in the doll for the very bare minimum of time. Some examples that have been said haven't been very good, but I suppose we can't tar everybody with the one brush. No, and I think even that particular gentleman probably feels within himself that he was justified in his positions. So I don't think that I, I strongly disagree with him, but we can strongly disagree with people without attributing malice to them. Even if the consequences are malicious, then we go after that. Uh, but we play the ball, not the man. And I think that it's important for us to recognise that even, even with all of these qualifications on voting, we should be very slow to believe that any candidate is going to bring about massive social transformation. The slogans can be very good, but the reality is going to be disappointing. But we should still, I think, vote, because if we don't vote, other people's voices are heard. And we're able to vote as Christians uh, with the voice of the voiceless in our minds. Yes, yeah, so tell me about that. In your resources, if people are listening, they can go on to the Jesuit Centre for Faith and Justice website, which is... jcfj.ie. And there they will find a resource. Talk to me about that regarding how to vote in a Christian ethical way. So uh, in each of our four areas of the economy, penal policy, the environment and housing, we set out four kind of stages for discernment. The first is facts you need to know. In Catholic social teaching in the Vatican guidelines about how to think about being a democratic citizen who's a Christian, they say that the first task of discernment is to get the truth, uh, to, to have solid facts that you're basing your opinions on, not just hunches, not memes that you saw on Facebook, not something that someone told you at work, actually get the information. So we have three facts you need to know to set out the context. Then we set out three questions you need to ask yourself because it's not sufficient for you to think that the politicians are elected and then it's their job to run the country. Democracy means it's still your responsibility. So you've got to ask yourself where your values lie in the midst of these different crises. And then we have three questions to ask the parliamentarians or the candidates. And uh, we recognise that from our own experience, when you talk to a canvasser, they're well trained in responding. So we've also given you the three standard kind of boilerplate responses that they <laughs> offer so that you're able to push that bit further. So if you talk about how you want an economy that serves the people instead of a people that serve the economy, they'll say keep the recovery going. 
uh, vote for us with our low taxes and then you're able to push further in on that and say but why are we lowering taxes when our public services are so poor so we've tried to give people their resources to have a conversation with themselves with their family and friends and then with their candidates and I think that's the way forward in democracy yeah and Irish people are really quite political anyway aren't they I mean you'll always get a conversation somewhere no matter what about what's happening you don't get that sense of apathy generally I mean I'm sure there are areas where there there might be but but regarding the three facts and what are they what what, do they cover three different areas or is it three facts per area that you mentioned so for example around the economy we say it's true that statistically the economy is growing but we have to recognize that that's based on an arbitrary measurement called GDP, which is based on multinationals housing their profits here to escape taxes in America. So the statistical pictures about economic growth are real, but they don't make any difference to most people's lives. And in the same way, you need to know that it's true that we're at full employment, but that doesn't mean that there's no unemployed people. There's still one in 20 people who can't find a job. And many of those people have been unemployed for a long time, which is deeply demoralizing. So if a candidate comes to you and says, vote for me because I guarantee full employment, you need to know that that doesn't mean everyone has a job. And and, and arguably, they probably don't think it's a problem that there's this remnant of people who don't have jobs. So in each of the areas, we have those kinds of facts laid out so that you have a kind of, uh, you have the, the real pitch laid out instead of the kind of, um, the tabloid understanding of things that so often prevails. Now, in terms of homelessness, and you mentioned the statistics there, which are really shocking. Nonetheless, the government is saying that they are coming down and the figures have come out that it's 700 less. Are they accurate? Can we trust that? Or because it's a good election bounce, if it's true... What, have you anything to say to that? Yeah, I mean, I, we have so much to say. We need another podcast and bring Keith Adams and Peter McVeary in. There are reasons to believe that those statistics are not accurate. The government, that's, that's a conversation for all civil society organisations to engage in. The housing numbers have been doctored and literally in the last parliament, uh, the terms by which someone has been declared homeless has been, cha- has been changed without really any deliberation. The fact remains that whether it's below 10,000 or above 10,000, the numbers are underrepresented. There's more homelessness than the official figures. And the plans that are in place will not solve homelessness. The fact is, if you want an economy where buying a house generates wealth for the owner, then you will have an economy where poor people don't have houses. So Ireland needs to make a value decision whether or not we want to be able to get rich by sitting on property or whether we want to have a society where every child has a home. You can't have both. And as a Christian, you need to reflect on the fact that your God is homeless. Jesus had no place to lay his head. So if there's a child out there who doesn't have a home in the sixth or seventh wealthiest country in the world, what's going on? And where are your Christian values? Don't let them be shrunken down to just one position on pro-life or one position on this, that or the other thing. Think through your values. You can't have all things. It's, you know, the capitalists are correct. Resources are scarce. But if you're hoarding the resources because you happen to be able to buy a house 20 years ago, then it's time for you to reflect on that. Um, We're complicit in this crisis, all of us. But if we are complicit, you see, my problem is that if you're trying to vote to make a difference, then you need a government. And you may, in your own area, have particularly good individual people, but the mix of the parties they come from might not all work out and therefore you could splay your vote all over the place and get a good person elected but you know they're never going to get in the government and make a difference it's very complicated isn't it it is and it's it's made more complicated because our local governments are so weak 
So in Catholic theology, there's this idea of subsidiarity, that the decision making should be made at the lowest possible level. And for all of the alleged influence that the Catholic Church had on Irish politics, we're the least subsidiarised society you can imagine. Uh, Dublin City Council can't even get around to building council houses now without the ministers say so. So there's very basic problems with the formal structures of Irish democracy that mean that uh, we ought to be voting local candidates in to fix local problems like the potholes and the street lights and so on. And instead, we're going to the TDs to do that. And they should be thinking about things in a bigger picture. So that's been arranged so that a certain kind of TD with a certain set of skills continues to get re-elected. Um, so it's a bigger picture and a longer conversation that we have to have about how to fix that. <coughs> that's political reform. Then. Yeah, political reform. But I do think that people should vote for policies as well as personalities. Um, uh, the 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 nicest guy in the world who's going to continue the criminal waste of public resources that is the HAP payment, which is a public subsidy for private landlords to the tune of €2 million Euros a day. If, a, if the best dude in the world is advocating that, arguably as a Christian, they don't deserve your vote. What you need is uh, the, the nice balance between someone who is trustworthy, that's important, but also someone who has thought through how these policies afflict, afflict the most marginalised in our society. This is hypothetical yeah. and not trying to be party political in this, but let's say I'm in a constituency where I have Sinn Féin saying they're going to build those 100,000 yeah. houses and I have a Green Party who's really strong in the ecology. And I'm not saying Sinn Féin don't have an ecology yeah, yes, position yes. and I'm not saying the Greens don't have a housing position because actually they do and, yes. and I've heard that. So how do I weigh that up? And then I have the Fine Gael guy saying, oh, we are going to be building more houses and we are more realistic because you wouldn't have the people to build 100,000. So that's a promise that can never be made and they're leading you up the garden path. And then you have Fine Gael saying, hold on a minute, we have a great track record. Heck, they're all singing the right songs and how do you make the decision? I think you do. this is where critical faculties have to come in. You've Interestingly, you've quoted one of our standard responses you have to be realistic. That's a thing politicians say all the time. And it's interesting that they're able to claim credit for the what they call the economic recovery. But that economic recovery, it's out of their hands as to whether or not they're able to provide houses. So what's the point of their realism? If they're able to bring about this magical transformation in our GDP, but they're not able to redistribute a certain amount of that to provide houses, that's not realism. That's obviously serving a certain sector. Now, everybody, every politician coming is serving a certain sector. The Green Party is probably not that interested in the opinion of people who make their money from greyhound racing. They're serving a particular sector. Um, so you have to critically discern where you as a Christian are placed in relation to those parties. Test their ideas, discern what's good, what's true, what's realistic as you see it. And I think that that's got to be a communal activity. You should do it with your friends, with your family, your parish. You should do it with your scriptures. You should do it in prayer. Uh, the whole kind of uh, Christian reflection will allow you to, to come to some compromised position on this. And, and, and I think it's important for us to recognise that our democratic responsibility doesn't end when we step out of that booth. Our primary role as Christians in terms of politics is to love our neighbour. And that has to continue right through the five years till the next election, hopefully. So uh, that's where your energy should be primarily left. Uh, what does it mean to care for the poorest person, the most marginalised person in your constituency? And then vote from that perspective and you can't go too far wrong. 
Kevin Hargadon, you are a theologian, you're a Presbyterian elder, and I will be talking to you after the election for a reprise of how it all went and how Christian we may or may not have been. Uh, many thanks. And once again, that website is jcfj.ie. And you can, I presume it's on the homepage if people want yes, to click yeah, it. Yes, people will be able to find uh, it's hashtag GE2020, so General Election 2020, and the resources are there.